Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. All right, are you ready for the service? I'm going to give you my best 30-minute candlelight message I got, all right? Um, I don't know in this room if you grew up in church or have been in church your whole life or this is your first time to church. I don't know if you've heard about God, if you've heard good things about God, bad things about God. You may be a Christian thinks you figured everything out about God, but my purpose today is to show you through Scripture that we worship a good God. I want to read you uh, Isaiah 9. Uh, it says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everybody say Wonderful Mighty God. Everybody say mighty. mighty. Come on. Now you always like rolling with the one that can beat up anybody. Uh, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Come on. It's a lot of good stuff. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. Stop. This is the promise of God. Uh, the title of my message is all I want for Christmas is a good God. I don't want just any kind of God. I don't want some idol. I want Jesus Christ. I want the one that is kind, that is fair, that is the Prince of Peace. Uh, when we couldn't get to God, guess what? God got to man. There's this a viral video that went, uh, went kind of viral about five, six years ago. And really the, the heart of Christmas and Jesus coming to earth, I, you need to see the picture. Jesus didn't come to earth because we were acting all good and being nice and saying, come on, God, come save us. We we're actually an enemy of God. And the picture I want to show you is this little boy um, was with this group of people, and there was a cat uh, stuck, uh, stuck in a storm drain. And uh, people were trying to grab the cat, but the cat was clawing and attacking the people that were trying to save it. And the people knew that if they left the cat in this storm drain and it was stuck, it was about to rain, that it would actually drown the cat. And so one adult tried, and they stepped back because the cat scratched them, and another adult tried, and, and people are videoing this because that's what we do these days. And, um, and then this little boy just literally just sprinted up to the cat, and as it's scratching, literally ripping the boy's arms, he just grabs the cat and pulls him out and then grabs him to his chest, and the cat will not leave his chest after that. And they interviewed the boy. The boy said, why did you do this? He's like, I've always wanted a cat. <laughs> and, and, I could have gone to a pet store, but it's cool. Um, and the cat, like, literally, like, was nuzzling up to him. And, and I just, I, I saw this picture, and I wanted to share with you real quick. Um, God didn't have to come down to earth. God wanted to come down to earth. He wanted to save you. And the reality is, is when he came to save you, we were scratching and clawing so much so that we actually crucified our living God. But he loved us so much that he conquered the grave so he could save us again. And so my, my, my prayer today is that if you're brand new to church, I just want to show you a good God. I want to show you a God that is committed to you more than you're committed to yourself. I want to show you a God that can save you way better than you can save yourself. I want to show you a God that can bring joy into your life that nothing the world can offer. Are you ready for the message? Yeah. Bear your heads, I'm going to pray. God, we love you. Oh, we thank you so much for just what today represents. It's your birthday. <laughs> Lord, we celebrate that, that today and then tomorrow morning we're going to celebrate the birth of our risen Savior. God, we, we know that it wasn't actually the 25th of December, okay? Um, but we picked the day just to honor you. So God, we honor you this weekend on uh, just the promise that was fulfilled 500 years prior in Isaiah. Oh, Lord, you fulfilled it. And now we stand on the other end of it, and we say thank you. Thank you. Oh, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? Amen. So when you come to a candlelight service, you usually hear the message out of Matthew or Luke. The reason why is the Christmas story really is covered really well in those two books. There's four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Matthew, it was written to a Jewish audience. So the very beginning of Matthew, you see the genealogy, it emphasizes King David to show the, the Jewish people that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the rightful promised heir from Abraham to David and now to you. 
It's in a beautiful book. I'm not going to teach you out of that today, okay? Mark, if you read Mark, it starts with not baby Jesus, grown man Jesus. They skip Jesus completely, his birth completely, and just has a grown man Jesus show up and starts just serving and loving people. Why does he do that in the book of Mark? The book of Mark is written to the Greeks and the Romans specifically, and they did not care about genealogies. And not only did they not care about genealogies, is that uh, it was to show the servanthood of Jesus. Servants didn't have genealogies. So Mark knew that he didn't need to write a genealogy because he was trying to show the servant side of Jesus. So it had a different aspect of our God. So that's why Mark has no genealogy. Then you have Luke written to the Gentiles. And his genealogy goes all the way back to Adam to show that he is not only fully God, but he's fully man. So the book of Luke shows you that he is a full man, but also fully God. He's full 200%. Come on now. And then the gospel of John that very rarely gets taught on candlelight service, but I'm going to do it today. Come on now. Uh, is what I would call his divine genealogy. John writes this book. It's about 70 years um, uh, after the birth of Jesus. The church has been going on now, and they've already lost their way a little bit. They have lost their way about the goodness of God and the godness of God. And I don't even know if godness is a word, but I'm going to use it today. I'm going to show you his goodness on this Christmas Eve service and his godness. We're going to look at five words in the genealogy of his divine genealogy in the gospel of John. And I'm praying that as you leave here today, if you've been a Christian for 30 years, you found out something new. If you've been following Jesus for 50 years, you found out something new. If you were brand new to church, you're like, I never knew there was a God like this. Are you ready for the message? All right. First word I want us to look at uh, is in John 1. We're going to read just through the, uh, the first chapter. It says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. I love that it just like establishes something. In the beginning, the word was already there. That, that, that before the earth was birthed, Jesus just was. It goes on to say, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The first word I want to look at is word. Everybody say word. word. Come on now, a little attitude on it. Come on now. That word word in the Greek is logos. Something you need to understand is when Jesus came and was birthed fully man and fully God, is that the, the Greeks and the Romans, they started to philosophize, and they started realizing that there is an emptiness in life, and they're trying to figure out how do we live a satisfied life, and the thing that we need to find out the most of anything is the logos, the purpose of why we're, what is the meaning of life? We get the word logic from this. Why, why are we logically here? What is going to fulfill our soul? And so they're looking for the logos, and they keep on trying to define the logos, and then Jesus says, there, there is no logos, I am logos. I am the meaning of life. Let me put it this way. Let's use a Christmas uh, illustration. It would be like getting an iPhone, and you get the iPhone, and you've never seen an iPhone before, so you don't know what it does or how to, how to operate it. And so you get the iPhone, and all you do with iPhone is you make calls and receive calls. That's it. And somebody came up to you, and they said, do you know this phone does a lot more than just make calls and receive calls? You can go on Instagram and look at memes all day long. It's amazing. You can go on Twitter and just read the, just the angry people of the world. You can go on, it's amazing. You, know, you can go on the news and get really cheered up. I mean, this phone is awesome. You can put your work on there so the work never leaves you and it follows you forever. Why do we have these? Tell me, come on now. So, that's my message. Get rid of your iPhone, okay. Um, it's supposed to be a good illustration, but as I went down, it got kind of sad, actually. Um, that in this iPhone, there's more power in the iPhone than there was with all the computers that sent people to the moon. You would go, I had no idea that this thing was capable of so much more. Just like a watch, if you just used it to tell time, instead of the Apple Watch, all the other things it does, working out, tells your calorie count, or the steps you have, you'd be missing out what it is. And what the philosophers were trying to do is, we were given this gift of life, but how do we maximize life? 
How do we know all the facets of it? And Jesus says, the only way you're going to figure out how to maximize your life is not through the world, but you have to meet the logos, and it's me. And so the first thing Jesus says is, hey, I am the pizza to the pizza party. I am the steak to the steak dinner. There is no steak dinner without me. There is no pizza to the pizza uh, party without me. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, my favorite food is pizza. Oh, I love pizza. If you put pizza in front of me, I will crush it. I will slam it. I'm not going to share with you. I don't even think about it. You're there. I'm just going to eat all the pizza. That's how much I crave pizza. Your soul craves purpose. And Jesus said, I'm about to put purpose right in front of you. And your soul has been craving it. And you're going to have all that you need. Because I'm the one to bring purpose to the soul that is craving it so much. So that's the first thing Jesus shows on the cross. He gave me to give purpose to the purposeless. Second thing he shows us in John 1, 4. Let's just keep going. The word gave life. Everybody say life. To everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Stop. That word life, uh, of course, there's different Greek words that describe life. Jesus did not bring bio life. He brought Zoe life. Bio life is just existing. Zoe life is enjoying life. Yeah. Another way is you'd say it is a, you have a quantity of life. That's your bio. But then there is the Zoe. There's a quality of life. Jesus came to bring an abundant, a quality life. I'll give you a simple illustration of what that looks like. So when I lived in L.A., the founding pastor of a church, I was a part of, uh, I worked at a church that was really big. You know, one, one, the, the Spanish church was about 6,000, and the English church at that time was about four or 5,000, and its heyday was about 10,000. Really big church. So the founding pastor knew a lot of people. A lot of people loved him. So there was this car dealership in L.A. It's the biggest car dealership in all of America. It sells the most cars anywhere else in America. And the, the owner actually went to the church. So we'd tell the senior pastor, and now the founding pastor goes, hey, come on, any of my car lots, pick out a car, and I want you to drive it for free. You can uh, exchange it every year for the rest of your life. And now this guy had a Jaguar lot. He had a Porsche lot, a Ford lot, um, you know, Lincoln lot. And so my pastor went and picked out just a Lincoln, um, and so he grabbed the Lincoln, started driving Lincoln, and people at church actually started complaining that he was driving too nice of a car. Church drama, 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 okay? So the pastor was like, man, I don't, I'm not here to create drama. Uh, I'm not here to, you know, have people talk. So he actually decides to return the car and to get a Ford, Okay. Now, uh, I need to unpack something. Forgive me for the title of the show, but it was the title of the show this time. It was on MTV. This car lot owner, also on their car lot they owned, and it was on uh, MTV for a while. It was called the show called Pimp My Ride, okay? Not an appropriate word, title, but relax, okay? Uh, basically, uh, on MTV, they would bring in a car, and then this... Uh, this shop would basically turn it into the coolest car ever. They put hot tubs in cars. They put coolers in cars, TVs in cars. Like they would turn this car into like a spaceship basically. And so the owner said, hey, okay, I'll get you a Ford, but you need to give me about a month and I'll get you that Ford. So he gets him this Ford Taurus. And uh, from that now on, the pastor's just driving a Taurus around church, waving at everybody, you know, and the people that were judged, like, I'm glad he's in a Taurus now, you know, whatever, okay? All the angry, uh, you know, uh, angry jerk Christians, okay? So, um, judgmental ones. Uh, so anyways, uh, I'm not preaching on judgmental Christians right now, but anyways, so... I was a youth pastor at the time, and when he would uh, arrive at the airport, they would ask the youth pastors, the junior high pastor or myself, the high school pastor... Uh, Will you, when you pick up uh, the pastor uh, from the airport? And so I never would volunteer. Uh, you know, I was like, I was like I'm, I'm good, you know? And so one time I got told to do it. Uh, I'm sorry, I need to be a better servant. And so I remember, uh, like, hey, uh, uh, James can't do it this time. Tyler, you got to go pick him up. I was like, okay, it would be my joy. Uh, and so... Um, <laughs> 
I go, uh, I get in his car, and you pick him up with his car. They say, hey, you're picking up in his car. He likes to come home in his car. So I drove over to his house, pick up his car, and I remember it being a Ford. I was like, oh, God, okay, Ford Taurus. My mom had a Taurus. Um, I get in this Ford Taurus, and it is a spaceship inside. The rear view mirror has a camera that you can see backwards. The seats hug around your body. They form around your body. Uh, there is a cooler in the console for drinks. There is this like spaceship light all around. The sound system, I've never heard anything like it. It was like um, mahogany wood in the dash. I don't even know why, but it was like beautiful. I was like, I was like this is not a Ford. Found out it was like a $200,000 car, okay? Um, and uh, I mean, just souped up, but Taurus on the outside. And so... Uh, and so I remember picking up a uh, pastor from the airport and, um, and be like, wow, this car is amazing. He's like, I've never loved a Ford more, Tyler, you know? And, <laughs> and so I drop him off at his house. And then for the rest of that year, they'd be like, does anybody want to pick up pastor? I'll pick up pastor. I want to pick up pastor. Please, please let me pick up pastor. I want to drive the spaceship car. And it was one of those moments where you, you, you take something that I never enjoyed doing, like driving. Well, who wants to drive? But you do something like that to a car, and it takes driving to a whole nother level. And what Jesus says is, hey, you have a life, and it can feel very mundane and purposeless. It can feel like it's almost empty. I'm coming to give you all the bells and whistles, every single bell and whistle that your soul's ever desired, everything you've ever wanted. I'm coming to give that kind of life to you. That's the kind of Christmas gift I want to give to you. So when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I just got another day to go do. No, we got to start looking forward to the day, because his mercies are new every morning. God, what do you have for me today? How are you going to use me today? That's the kind of God we worship. Amen? So he came to give Zoe life. So we got, uh, we got word, we got life. Third one is he came to dwelt. Came to dwelt. We're going ESV on this one. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son, the father full of grace and truth. Uh, the author... Uh, John did not put these words on accident. He used by the Holy Spirit to put the pen to paper God's heart. He put dwell and glory together. In the Old Testament, God's presence could not hang out with you and I. We were imperfect. He was perfect. His glory would crush us. His glory would kill us. But Jesus came to tear our veil that was the, literally the width of our hand to tear it uh, as a sign, uh, to signify the thing that was between you and I and him. He actually wanted to move into the house. Let me read you a modern translation of the same verse of this. So the word became human and made his home among us. Stop. Rachel and I just recently uh, bought a house last year. And on the house buying journey, there is a lot of things that you do on it. Once in a while, you'll find a house and you won't love it, but you like the price. And so you lowball the offer. You say, if we get it for this, we made a wise decision. And so we look at a house and we'd you know, bid under hundred grand and we'd lose that house. And the last two houses we had, there was one house we liked it. We actually had the offer and it was accepted. But we told them after looking at everything and expecting everything, we actually want 100,000 off the house or we're not gonna buy it. Owner didn't budge, we walked away from it, we felt great. The next day we looked at a new house and we went to this house and we decided to overpay for it and we decided to do no contingencies. Now, if you don't know about how I'm buying, no contingency says, doesn't matter what I find wrong with this house, I still want this house. No, not only do I not care if there's anything wrong with it, I'm just gonna fix it up. And I know there's stuff wrong with it, I just toured the house. And so I remember us overpaying, and this is what our realtor said. Hey, you shouldn't do this. This is kind of reckless. Uh, no contingencies. Like, what about the foundation? What if, what if it doesn't get appraised for what you just bid it on? You could lose everything. And this is what Rachel I said. We don't care. We want it. We love it. We love this house. I want this house. It has a pool and a hot tub. I never thought I could have a house with a pool and a hot tub. You know? And so it was like one of those things where, where love drove the decision, not the realtor. We got the house, and it literally, um, um, uh, uh, what's it called again? The appraisal. The appraisal came in like two grand over what we offered, so we didn't have to owe the bank anything. It was one of those amazing moments. Now, I want to read you a verse real quick. 
You would say, what kind of God would give his only son to purchase you and I? I mean, the, the council, hey, that's, this is a bad transaction. These people, have you seen them lately? Have you, did you do the tour? Did you see all the blind spots and the anger and the frustration and the selfishness? Are you sure? And no contingencies? You're completely committed no matter what? This is the, but this is, this is his answer. He goes, here's what he told his realtor. He says, for God so loved. When you find a house you so love, you'll give anything and everything to purchase that house. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Home prices in California are crazy expensive, but you are way more expensive. Oh, what was paid for your soul. Now, catch this real quick. Jesus didn't buy you so he would own you. He bought you so he could live with you and build life with you and dwell with you. And the verse, can I finish? What does he say he brings in? The son of the father brings full of grace and truth. He buys the house and then he decorates it for you too. He takes out anger and says, I'm going to put some truth in here. He takes out stress, puts in grace in there. He moves in the house and he makes it better than you could ever make it. He came to dwelt among us. He came to live in us as a home. Come on now, almost done. Uh, grace. Grace is the fourth word I want you to see. John 1, 16. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Everybody say grace, grace. I just love that word. I love that word. Have you ever uh, met somebody that just knows how to get you a present? Like, like the present whisperer. Like you, you barely said something about it, but they just know that they know. And then on Christmas, you open like, how did you know I wanted this? I never said anything except put it on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, how did you know? So this has happened to me a handful of times in my life. My wife has the gift. She's got, got the gift. There's can't people on her staff either. They have the gift. I've, I've had people on her staff give me a gift. I'm like, how did you know? They're like, one time six months ago, you said it, and I remembered it. And I was like, man, I need to say stuff more often, you know? <laughs> and so my wife, even every Christmas, we have friends we share gifts with, and, and they'll be like, how did you know? And like, again, just Rachel is always listening, always listening, always watching. Now, the Lord's doing the same thing, but he's listening to your soul and always watching your soul. And the thing that your soul is hinting at more than anything on this Christmas is it wants grace. It wants grace. And now, now, this picture that I love about the picture of grace is it's not only the gift you've always wanted, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It says grace upon grace. The, the, the theologian scholars say you've got to picture waves coming in on, on a shore. Not just small waves, but big waves. So could you imagine standing on a shore and just one wave hits you, and another wave hits you, and if you stayed there for the rest of your life, it would be wave after wave. And what it's saying is, is when you say yes to Jesus, grace hits you every single day. You wake up, grace. You get in your car, grace. You're going to work, grace. You fail and you mess up, grace. You sin more than you ever thought you could sin, grace. You go to bed, you were angry, you didn't do everything right, grace. You're sleeping and you didn't even live the way God called you to live, grace. You wake up in the morning and you're going to be selfish today, grace. You start living for God, grace to live for him, grace. And then a little bit more grace. You come to church today, Grace. You leave church today? Grace. You leave lunch today? Grace. Are you getting what I'm saying real quick? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's one of those gifts that God gives us that we don't really fully understand or won't comprehend until we get to heaven. Grace not only saves you, but it sustains you. It's what saves your soul, but then it's what gives you the strength to say no to things that's destroying your soul and saying yes to things you're supposed to. But then when you fail, it's what wraps you up. The greatest picture of grace I love is in Luke 15 when the son messes up and the father sprints to him. God is so quick to give grace to his kids. Grace upon grace.
Fifth word I want to show you is believed, is believed. John 1 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word believe is a big deal to uh, John and the Holy Spirit, the author. 96 times you'll see the word believe in the, in the gospel of John. 96 times. And believed and received are right next to it. Because the reality is, is you're brought here to church. Maybe you came here willing. You were excited. Some of you were dragged here. But the Bible shows very clearly, and if I could use a Christmas illustration, that if you're in the house today and you want the fullness of life and you want everything God has for you, I can't believe for you. Your mom can't believe for you. Your dad can't believe for you. Your cousin can't believe for you. Your best friends can't believe for you. And and the reality is, is I can't open the present that God wants to give you. I can't open it for you. You have to open it. And so it's almost if you could read the, the gospel of John with the Christmas tone of over and over again, 96 times, open the present. Oh, open the present. Open the, oh, you got to open this present. You got to open this, this one. No, this, don't open those presents. Open this present. What are you doing to open those presents from the world? Those are nothing. Open this present. 96 times. Open it, 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 open it. Over and over again saying, if you open it, what you receive will change your life. So many people in the room, you need to hear this real quick. Nobody's going to open it for you, but today you can open it yourself. I believe that. Now, if I could summarize just the, the, the heart message of the gospel and, and what Christmas represents. It's Jesus came to adopt you and I, to bring us in the family. And, and you could say Jesus was the adopter. He was the adoption papers. He was the one that paid the price. I want to read you some verses real quick, and then we're going to look at a, a quick video. It says this in John 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and a spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must. Everybody say must. You must be born again. You must. Now, when you read the Gospel of John, and even as a Christian for a long time, Born again, like I'm already born. Okay, spiritual picture of being born again, I kind of get it. But if you read the whole New Testament, you'll see another theme that talks about being born again, but the, the picture they use is not a spiritual term. It's more of a practical term to show people what it means to be born again, and it means to be adopted. It says this in Ephesians. This is how Paul says being born again, what it looks like. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves. And when you believed in Christ, there's that word believe again, he identified you as his own. He's saying, what, what it looks like to be spiritually born again is it means that you were adopted and now you're a son and daughter of the living God. You had no family, now you have family. You had no home, now you have a home. You had no inheritance, now you have the biggest inheritance. I want to show you a, a practical picture of a kid that actually was adopted on Christmas. Check it out. Come on. Uh, My favorite part of the thing is, do you want us to adopt you, Carter? And just with a big old smile, yes, I want to be a part of the family. And really what Jesus did is he came to earth and he came up to Peter and says, Peter, do you want to be part of the family? And Peter said, yes, I want to be part of the family. James and John, do you want to be part of the family? Yes, I want to be part of the family. One after another, he adopted into his family and there was a price to be paid. And of course, it was his life. And as he adopted the family, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to light our candles in just a second. Jesus... Uh, would teach his disciples the family mantra, if you will. 
Every family, if you've ever been over their house, they value something at the highest level. Like if you come into the Johnson house, our motto is Johnson's win, no matter what, 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 what. <laughs> All we do is win, win, win. Monopoly, it doesn't matter. Like I just want, want to win. I have a problem, pray for me, okay? But it's like one of our things, like Rachel and I always joke about, like that's, that's you know, one of our little mottos at least. And so when I lose, I get very upset. Uh, some, some people's family motto is, is excellence. E- education is like, it's, it's, it's king in the house. Well, when Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, there's one thing over and over again he's trying to show them to have them value at the highest level. It's this thing called love, but love is an interesting thing how it plays out in our culture. And I want to read you a verse as Jesus uh, shows him really what they, he wants from his disciples. I want to read you John 1, 5 through 9, and I'm going to read you Matthew 5. The word gave life to everything that was created, and life was brought, uh, life brought light to everyone. Everybody say light. light. You see it almost seven times in just this little uh, part. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent, man, uh, sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might be, uh, believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is hanging out with disciples, and he says to him, he tells him this simple thing. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I love John 12, 46 too. If I could just read to you. I've come as light to shine in the dark, in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. You know, Christmas is this interesting thing and Christians, we've, we've misstepped a handful of times in our Christmas seasons. You know, there there was this big old mantra, you know, uh, back in the day, I remember in Starbucks got rid of Merry Christmas on their, or their cups and just switched them to holiday cups. And Christians were like, they're taking Christ out of Christmas. Starbucks is canceling Christ. We're boycotting Starbucks. And so like, you know, it, once in a while this wave is like, keep Christ in Christmas. And this last week I'm, you know, in my front yard and our neighbors walk by and they say, happy holidays. And self-righteously, I go, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. And I caught myself, and I was like, oh, Tyler, they don't know Jesus. But they say Merry Christmas, they don't know the Lord. That doesn't mean anything. We're so fixated sometimes on having Christ permeate Christmas. But Christ came to permeate our souls. He came to permeate our being. And the way that Christ came to permeate us and how we can permeate the society and, and, and affect it is simply this. We're going to be kind this Christmas. He said, I'm going to be kind to mankind. It's my kindness that will lead to repentance. I'm going to help the needy. I'm going to feed the poor. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to take the lonely and put them in families. That, 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 that's what Christ is going to do on this Christmas. And so at this church, we're not trying to, again, Christ and Christmas, yes, important. But the most important thing is Christ permeating Christianity. That the Holy Spirit would transform people's lives. That Jesus would transform lives. And, and I love the spiritual picture that Jesus said. He goes, I want your light to shine before all men so that my glory may be seen. He didn't go, I want you to make sure they all say Christmas. If not, I'm out. He goes, I want you to be kind before people. I want you to be generous. I want you to be loving. I want you to make beautiful acts towards people. I want you to serve with no strings attached. And when you do that, you're going to shine bright just like I am. I, I'm going to ask for the candle real quick. The Gospel of John's the most spiritual of all the Gospels. It's always trying to show the spiritual picture, not the practical picture. You know, they get fed bread, and then Jesus is like, you know the spiritual picture of bread, right? I am the true bread. Shows vines, he goes, I don't want to talk, I'm the true vine. I'm a, I'm a spirit. No, there is light, but I'm the true light. He's always trying to show a spiritual picture of what's going on. 
And on Christmas, the reason why I want to preach from John is there is a spiritual picture that we always do, but I want to come to life to you like no other this, uh, this Christmas. That when you said yes to Jesus, when you got adopted in the family, God lit you up. That he, he took something that was dead and brought it to life. And when you bring this to other people and you tell them about Jesus, the least lit area in the Bay Area, I'm believing, can become the most lit area. That what people mock for being so dark and so lost can become so bright and become so good. Light makes things better, makes things brighter. And our church, our goal here in the East Bay is just to make things better and brighter. Make families better and brighter and make the East Bay better and brighter. And so we're going to light candles in just a second and just look at the uh, spiritual significance of it. And as we're lighting, uh, Rachel's going to come up and sing a song. And uh, then we're going to raise candles. And then we're going to go change the world, eat a lot of food. Does that sound good? Before we stand up, I want to give anybody an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So if you could just bow your heads, close your eyes. Just don't bow your head and do a candle. Oh, it's your first time to church. Maybe you strayed away from church. Maybe you left church a while ago. Maybe it's your first time hearing the gospel message that there is a God that lived the life that you could live, died a death, that we all should have died and they paid the price and none of us could have paid so you could spend eternity with them. But not only spend eternity with them, but you could actually have heaven on earth today. That the rebuilding process, that the Zoe life process can start today. The, the abundant life, the, the enjoying life. So there were head bowed and eye closed. You felt it tugging your heart to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to being adopted in the family. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your candle up and I just want to see it and I want to pray for you. The Bible is very clear. There must be response. On the count of three, raise it up. One, two, three. Raise it up. You want to say yes to Jesus. It's a great decision. It's a great decision. Too many candles to count. It's a good problem. Please stand up with me. We're going to finish service in just a second. I love church. And I, grow, I didn't grow up in church. At first I thought Christians were weirdos and judgmental and mean. And then I found Jesus and I found a great church that loved the Lord and loved people well. And when we planted the church four years ago, we literally had a dream for Mission Church. And one of the dreams was we would be light in a dark place. That we'd be salt. That we would just make things better. And when we raise the candles today, I want you to raise a candle, but not just to raise it, raise it, but if you want to commit to saying, God, I want to make the East Bay better. I want to share your gospel more. I want to love people better. I want to serve more. I want to be more attentive to when people are hurting. I, 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 want, to, I want to lend an ear. No more judging from me, God. I'm going to serve people and love people and let people know there's a good God. Yeah. So if that's you, you want to commit to being light in the East Bay, would you just raise it up with me? Come on, that's a, that's a lot of hope in the room right there. That's a lot of hope. That's a lot of hope. God, with the candles raised right now, we simply say that as a church... God, we are committing to loving the unlovable. God, when the East Bay scratches back, when East Bay bites back, God, we're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're going to love more. We're going to pray more. We're going to serve more. We're going to give more. God, we love you. We thank you that you're the one that set the model. You're the one that set the bar. God, we love you so much. Oh, we celebrate who you are. And everybody said? Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.